in First Chronicles, uh, the, we have uh, uh, genealogies in the first eight chapters of First Chronicles, and it, it starts off with um, Adam, and it narrows its way, and for the most part, it stays with um, David's line, and it's meant to encourage the people who have come back from uh, Israel, from an exile uh, in Babylon, and they're, they're back in Israel, uh, in the nation of Israel. And they are sort of, I uh, don't want to overuse the term, but a ragtag a bunch of people. There's not many of them, and they are uh, there surrounded by enemies. They're, they're the, the temple, which was once just the, the, the life of uh, the Jewish community, is in uh, rubble. And uh, it, this book is meant as an encouragement to them. And uh, the book really focuses on First Chronicles on the life of David, and it's a way of telling him, "Listen, you come from a great people, and you uh, and you come from a great king. And David uh, was the man through whom the Messiah would come. And uh, so, uh, at the end of last week, we uh, really went over in chapter. Uh, in chapter um, eight, the uh, let me see here. Just kidding. We went over in uh, rather in chapter um, eleven. We went over the thirty mighty men that had gathered around David. Uh, they had uh, come to David originally. We read in First Samuel chapter. First uh, Samuel chapter 22, uh, while he was running away from Saul, and they were, it says in chapter 22, uh, gathered t- everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in de- debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him. And in other words, there was really nothing about this crew of people who, uh, to, to, to think at the time that they would ever become anything, uh, but they were drawn to David uh, because he had the Spirit of God on him. Samuel, the prophet Samuel, had already anointed him as king, although uh, the, he was not the, the officially recognized as the king of Israel, Saul was, um, but as many times in our lives, God calls us, um, but we don't walk start walking on our calling sometimes to many years later. And so that's what we did last week. We finished up with the 30 mighty men, and uh, we ran out of time. But, you know, one of the things that I uh, really um, love about studying David is that uh, if you remember that most of the Old Testament, in the New Testament, there is a very high priority on sharing our faith and bringing in unbelievers of, of every tongue, every tribe, um, prophecies 
um, throughout the Old Testament uh, of the, the nations one day um, coming to submit to the Messiah, uh, but there's not a whole lot discussed. You have uh, Jonah going to the Ninevites, and the Ninevites, of course, there's a tremendous revival there, and there are some other instances, but um, there's very little. But the, the, Jesus, known as the son of David, uh, David is a foreshadowing of, of in many respects, of, of, of Jesus to come. And many heard this, they were known as dogs. Even Jesus calls a Gentile woman um, a little dog uh, in the uh, book of Matthew and Mark. And so um, they lived like dogs, but uh, living like a dog will lead you to a place where um, you are really seeking after something else. Uh, and, and that's why even um, in Paul's letters in the book of Acts, you see in the synagogues, there were God-fearing Gentiles who would just go there and hang out. Uh, they didn't always really want to become Jews because you had to be circumcised, but they would come there because they knew who, uh, most of whom had gathered uh, most, actually, I think all of them had gathered to him prior to the time he even became king. And uh, one is in verse 36, this guy, Hefer the Mechorathite, which is believed to, to, to come from, um, from Syria. Um, but he saw the call of David and, and he gathered himself to him. In 41, you have Uriah the Hittite. Uh, and of course, he is the husband of, um, of Bathsheba. And uh, David would wind up actually murdering this guy to try to cover up his sin. Uh, but then ends of the world would be gathered in, and in the book of Revelation, every tongue, every tribe is worshiping the Lord. And uh, that is, uh, th there's just that foreshadowing, that wonderful, wonderful foreshadowing here uh, with David. And uh, I love the, the story, uh, we were already in it, I don't know, five or six months ago, but I just love the story in 1 Samuel chapter 22 where um, David is fleeing Jerusalem because his son Absalom has taken over and there is, uh, uh, rather, it's not 1 Samuel 22, it's 2 Samuel um, 15 where he's fleeing Jerusalem and these people are uh, coming to him and one is a guy by the name of Ittai the Ittai the Gittite, who's a Philistine. And um, he comes up to David, and uh, most of Israel is staying in Jerusalem with Absalom, but there are a few loyal people who go with, from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go since I go, I know not where. Return and take your brethren. Mercy and truth be with you. In other words, go back. You only came yesterday and you're a foreigner. You're not even a Jew. It says, but also your servant will be. And uh, it's just a wonderful picture of someone who senses the spirit of God on someone else. Uh, it does remind me again of last Sunday where we were in John chapter 
um, 9, where at the end, Jesus asked the man who had been healed, uh, do you believe in the Son of God? And he just said, tell me who he is, and I'll believe him, I'll follow him. I mean, he was, he was seeking son of David um, because he was a direct line from David, and he was the Messiah. Now, chapter 12 uh, of First Chronicles uh, it goes from basically chapter 11, which is a description of David's mighty men who were going to be reigning with him, to a group of people who gathered to at least the first half of the chapter is about a group of people who gathered to David when he was on the run. In fact, he was in Ziklag. He was in the um, the place of the Philistines, he, after 10 years of running from Saul, he just had too much, which of course, that's a lie, right? He was never going to perish at the hands of Saul, but he became utterly convinced um, if he stayed in Israel, he was going to die. Um, the Bible says in Proverbs, he who trusts in his heart is a fool. And so he makes a poor decision. He goes to the um, uh, to the land of the Philistines, and for 14 months, he, he lives a backslidden life, a, a very shameful life, which is described in first from four or five tribes of Israel. They start trickling in to Ziklag, going from Israel into the land of the Philistines, into the city that David is occupying, and they gather around David. And... Uh, it just shows the mercy of the Lord <laughs> that, uh, you know, when people, when people are in sin, a lot of times the way that I counsel them and the way that uh, I share with them is if you continue this lifestyle, there can be no expectation in your life that God is going to answer your prayers. And I phrase it like that as opposed to saying God will never answer your prayers because the whole Bible is a testament that even oftentimes in rebellion, God in his mercy will answer prayer. He will be merciful even in a time of rebellion. There can be no expectation of answered prayer, but God's mercy is so great that during this time, he gathers um, these people to David. And it says in verse 1, now of chapter 12 of First Chronicles. Now, there were, now these were the men who came to David at Ziklag while he was still a fugitive from Saul, the son of Kish, and they were among the mighty men, helpers in the war. Armed with bows, using both the right hand and the left hand in hurling stones and shooting arrows with the bow, they were of Benjamin, Saul's brethren. So some Benjamites, um, and it's going to list all these people who came to David when he was on the run. And, and, and these people, they're listed by name, many of them. And I do think it's significant because this is just a burden on, on, on my heart, particularly with men that they would just be taking risks and going out of their comfort zone. It was a big-time risk for them to be joining David, David, joining David. And it says, these men of Benjamin, I mean, these are some serious dudes. 
there have only been, I believe, six or seven pitchers who could pitch with both their right and left hand. Four of those people were in the 1800s. One in the early 1900s was a dead ball era, meaning the most homers people would have in a year would be like eight homers, and then they changed to the baseball, and then in the middle of Babe Ruth, by the way, in the middle of his career, or maybe it was towards the middle, it was not at the beginning, and all of a sudden, people started hitting 40 or 50 home runs a year. But there's only been two since 1910, a guy named Greg Harris and a guy named Pat Van Dyke who could throw with their right and their left hand. They could pitch that way. Uh, one of them, Greg Harris, did it in his second to the last game of his long career. So it's, it's just very, very rare. But here, there's a whole group of them, Jezreel, Pellet, the sons of Amatheth, Barak, Jehu, the uh, Anathanite, uh, and then it, it goes through other Benjamites who came. Verse 8 said, some gadble is the word of God. It's all, it, it's the only document in the world that we know from start to finish is in the infallible word of God. It's inerrant, and it's in the original manuscripts. And it's naming these people, and again, the main thing about it, they took risks. They were, the American church, I believe there's so much weakness in this country because there is an aversion to take any risks. I can't let my retirement account be at risk. So I'm just, I can't let um, my physical safety be at risk. So I'm going to live in a place where there's zero risk um, um, of, of living. By the way, Newton is the most safest place in, in the entire United States. So if you want to live in a... I won't think you're unspiritual at all if you move to Newton, by the way. <laughs> uh, but but it, it is. It's ranked as the safest place in the United States. But, but, but just an aversion to risk. And I've seen this um, you know, throughout my Christian life, and certainly I have it in me too. Just an aversion to risk. But there's, they're gathering around David... And um, little do they know he's going to be king someday. At the time they gathered to him, again, they, they, we already read it. They're just a bunch of discontent complainers. They're going to eventually become mighty men who are talked about for the next 3,000 years. But they're just gathering to him. They see the call of God. Um, there's something different about him. He takes in even foreigners, this man. There's a, clearly there was a love of David. And so some um, Gadites joined David, verse 8, in the stronghold of the uh, wilderness, mighty men of valor, men trained um, for battle who could handle shield and spear, whose faces were like the faces of lions and were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. Um, uh, and, and, and then it's, it lists them off. So some, some, really, um, some really gifted men. Uh, they, they weren't right and left-handed pitchers. Uh, by the way, one of those guys did the reporting. It's just so rare uh, to have that. Uh, but the, the Gadites did. They didn't have right and left-handers, um, but they did have... 
um, people who ran, had the faces of lions, and, and they were as swift as gazelles on the mountains. And then it, it lists them off by name. And so it says in 15, these are the ones who crossed the Jordan in the first month when it had overflowed all its banks and they put to flight all those in the valleys to the east and to the west. Then some of the sons of Benjamin and Judah came to David at the stronghold. So we, so we read, um, Benjamites came, Gadites came, people from the tribe of, of Judah came. Uh, so that's the third. And David went out to meet them. So remember in verse 17, he's in enemy territory. He's in the middle of this land of Philistines, Saul has been hunting him down, trying to kill him, came so close so many times, was so bloodthirsty. I don't know if you guys remember, but David shows up in one city, the city of Nob. They help him out, give him some bread. It's the city of priests. He leaves, Saul finds out and kills every priest in the city. I think there were 70 of them. All their wives and all their kids. I mean, Saul was really going after David. And so, you know, people start showing up from the nation of Israel. He's, he's still cautious. Remember, he's kind of in a semi-backslidden state here. And so he goes out to meet them. And he says, if you've, verse 17, if you have come peaceably to me to help me, my heart will be united with you. But if to betray me to my enemies, since there is no wrong in my hands, since then there is no wrong, rather, may the God of our fathers look and bring judgment. And then the Spirit came upon Amasai, chief of the captains, and he said, we are yours, O David. We are on your side, O son of Jesse. Peace, peace to you, and peace to your helpers, for your God helps you and so David did was a man who recognized um, the spirit of God and just an interesting uh, verse there. We don't know much at all about this guy Amasai, um, but he 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 came. He he was either from Benjamin or Judah, and uh, the spirit of God falls on him, and he and and David recognizes that. So it says, so David received them and made them captains of the troop. In the New Testament, in the book of First um, Corinthians, I believe it's chapter. 12. I always get it confused whether it's 12 or 14. I think it's 12. It mentions the spirit, uh, the gift of spirit, discerning of spirits um, in there as a gift given to certain people in churches in order to protect and safeguard the church. There are people who come into church with a demonic presence, a demonic spirit. And, and they can really wreak havoc. There are others who come in just with the Spirit of God laid on them who are a tremendous blessing. Of course, we always ask for as many people as God is willing. Oh, God, will you give us as many people loaded up with spiritual gifts? We need all of them, Lord, including people, men and women, with the gift of discerning spirits. It's a, it's a good gift to have in this very... The next tribe is the fourth tribe. Some from Manasseh uh, deflect, uh, defected to David. It says defected, meaning uh, they're leaving Israel, they're leaving Saul, and they're coming to David, realizing 
or sensing there's a call of God on this guy. I'm convinced they don't know he's going to be king, but they just, they, they, they're drawn to him. They defected to David when he was going with the Philistines to battle against Saul, but they did not help them, for the lords of the Philistines sent him away by agreement, saying he may defect to his master Saul and endanger our head. So if you remember at the end of 1 Samuel, David, David actually lined up to fight Israel itself, and God intervened and took him away. These guys from Manasseh, so they come at the very, very end of David's 14 months in um, Ziklag, and, uh, but still they're commended here. Um, as, as people, again, who were willing to take risks because they knew the will of God. They sensed the spirit of God. They, they were willing to go out of their comfort zone um, and, and knew that the Lord would provide and the Lord would do great things. I, I have noticed that people, uh, many people who come to me and they say they have a dry Christian life, um, oftentimes they're not they're people who are living squarely in their comfort zone, and they're not coming out of their comfort zone. And, and uh, sometimes I ask, well, uh, there, there's two, two areas, just as a threshold matter. Are, are, you, are you tithing? Are you giving? And then the other one, are you sharing your faith? That as a threshold matter, um, g- those are two areas of getting out of your comfort zone and seeing what the Lord does. I'm telling you, if you go out and you evangelize to strangers, you'll see the hand of God. I'm telling you that for a fact. And then that's not, by the way, that has nothing to do with the fact that evangelism training is starting in a few weeks. I just, it's, it's amazing what we see when we, um, we share our faith and get out of, out of our comfort zone. And so it says in verse 21, they helped David against the bands of raiders, for they were all mighty men of valor, and they were captains of the army. For at that time, they came to David day by day to help him until it was a great army like the army of God. So this, again, is before... The, um, this is before the time that David is king. He's a fugitive of Saul, but um, even in this time where he's in a semi-backs um, over the years at Calvary Chapel, um, he just gradually starts bringing this person, that person, that person, that person, and, and eventually you have a mighty army, which I, I do believe that um, um, that we we have at, at at this church. When I when I look at the uh, the, the people that the Lord has, has brought, and they just come in just sort of day by day or year by year, they come in, and pretty soon you look around, it's like, wow, Lord, this is so encouraging, the people that you have brought. Verse 23, now there were the numbers of the divisions that were equipped with war and came to David at Hebron to turn over the kingdom of Saul to him according to the words of the Lord. So, big switch here in, from verse 22 to verse 23. It doesn't say it here, but between verse 22 and verse 23, David became king. Saul was killed. David became king at Hebron. Hebron is about 10-hour walk south of Jerusalem. Ishbosheth, who was a, a son of Saul, who was a very weak man, a jelly 
basically jelly for his spine. He, he was a spineless man. And um, he, he ruled for about seven years in the north. Then he was murdered. Um, and then eventually, after seven years in Hebron, where he was only um, ruling Judah and uh, Benjamin, after seven years, the ten other tribes came down to him. And that is what verse 23 is about. It's a description. Before, there were only representatives of like four tribes who came to him. But now everyone comes down. Um, and they realize the whole nation says, listen, this guy has the call of God in his life. By this time, David's already been king seven years of Judah and of Benjamin. But from verse 24 on, he's king of all 12 tribes. And, and so in verse 24, it's the sons of Judah came. Verse 25, it's the sons of Simeon. The sons of um, Isaac came. The, verse 33, the sons of Zebulun came. And, the, uh, and, and by, when I say the sons, these are military men that came. They were uh, kind of just coming in and saying, we're yours now. Um, in verse 34, um, the, 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 the Israelite is now joined. All 12 tribes have joined together. Um, the military has, 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 has all joined forces with David and submitted to him. Um, if you may remember from last week, uh, it says in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, what happened was the people all recognized, it says, um, they said to David, this is all, um, this is all Israel here. Um, it says, we know Paul was a, a man who was a taker, a taker, a taker, a taker. But a leading God's way, leading Jesus' way is giving, 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 giving. That's what a shepherd is. A shepherd actually washes feet and he doesn't demand people. Hey, you, 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 come and wash my feet. You, now you, now you. No, no, it's the other way around. A shepherd is um, washing. And, and so um, they recognize this call. They gather to him. And, you know, it's just <laughs> an incredible scene. I'd like to see this in a movie. I don't know if this is in the David movies. I think TNT, there's a few different David movies, I think. But this is an incredible scene because... David had been anointed king of Israel by, by Samuel something like 15 or 20 years before uh, in front of his brothers when he was just a wee little kid out with, you know, tending the sheep. Uh, Samuel had come in and, and uh, you corrected me last time. Uh, I think, was David the seventh son or the eighth son? I, I don't remember now. <laughs> you forget your correction, Freddie. Um, but, but, um, and it was none of the first six or seven. And, 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 and Samuel said, is there another one? And there was one out of fruition. And boy, was it a, just a just outrageously hard trial um, for, for, for the 10 to 15 years prior till it actually happened. Um, I have two life verses, and, and the one that is, has been my life verse the longest is um, Psalm 25, verse 3. It says, Indeed, no one who waits on the Lord will be put to shame. And um, I probably recited that verse 500 to 1,000 times in the last uh, 20 to, to 25 years. No one who waits on the Lord will be put to shame. 
It's so important that we wait upon him and we don't try to capture God's calling of our life before it's time. We need to, it's so important to wait upon to Israel through the prophet Isaiah. Why do you say to me, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my just claim is passed by by my God? Do you not know, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the, um, of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak, to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall um, utterly fail. But, it's such a wonderful verse in the Bible, i got to tell you. If you haven't heard, there's a wonderful Bible study that you can do of all the times it says, but God. But, but those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Greatest scenes of time with people and, and, and just love people and build this sense of community. You see, this is a sales pitch, February of next year. Um, it's a little pricey getting there, so you better, you better start saving now. But I have, by the way, pictures of those Argentine barbecues, they're insane. I mean, I, I, a lot of red meat. But anyway, um, I love that though, the three-day feast, and it's not the only multi-day feast um, we're seeing uh, in, the, um, uh, in these books, in, in, in these history books, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, and First and, uh, First and Second Chronicles, and I, I believe there may even be some in Nehemiah and, and Ezra too, not sure, but uh, these multi-day feasts, but uh, wonderful to see, and, and, and we need to remember that. So chapter 13, David consulted with the captains of the thousands and hundreds and with every leader, and he said, so remember, he's king for the first time of all, all 12 tribes here. So, so in, in, in first Samuel and 2 Samuel, there's, there's a whole long part about Saul. All that is really not covered at all in, in 1 Chronicles. This is really about David. Uh, and so uh, he's king now. And verse 2 says, And David said to all the assemblies of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and Levites who are in the cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us. And let us bring the ark of God back to us for we have not inquired of at it since the days of Saul. So he puts first things first. We got to go get the Ark of the Covenant. And we got to start worshiping God here. This is not usually what people do when they come into power. It's like, okay, we got to mobilize the military. Uh, we got to roads to build. We got to make fortifications and, uh, and this type of thing. We got to appoint judges. We got to... No, no, the very first thing. This is, when David is judged, when every other king after David is judged by, uh, by David in his life, and we've seen that, right? We saw that in First and Second Kings. Every king is judged whether or not they met the standard that David met, and it was just this. He was a guy after God's own, a man after God's own heart. And this is just an example. First thing he does, 
get the ark. Go get the ark. Let's worship God. Now, the ark of the covenant was was in the old covenant. Um, the ark of the testimony, um, or the ark of the covenant was in the tabernacle at the time. Moses was giving very specific instructions. I'm right in the middle of them in, in my study of the book of Exodus right now. And, um, and over the ark, there was, inside the ark, there, they, they placed the, um, the Ten Commandments, uh, and they put some manna in there too, and, and Aaron's rod that budded, they put that in there too, although that that, that that at some point disappeared. But um, it had been taken into the, it, it had been uh, under Eli. Remember, Samuel grew up as a prophet in the house of Eli, the high priest, but there was just such wickedness amongst Eli's sons. They were sleeping with the women who came in to make offerings. They were taking the best offerings and eating them. And the Philistines came in and routed them and stole the Ark of the Covenant. Which is like, the first time I read that, because this is the weirdest thing in the world. Why would God ever allow this? And, and the Ark of the Covenant, and, and, and put a couple of cows on it, whip the cows and have them send it back to Israel. It, it did, but then when it got to Israel, the Ark of the Covenant, remember over the Ark of the Covenant, um, there's the, there's, there was the mercy seat, and in the tabernacle over the mercy seat is the little presence of God. There was a light there, there was a presence of God there, and um, it's what God chose to do in the Old Covenant. New Covenant, so much better. But, but, the, but, but the Old Covenant, and this is what he did, and so... Um, uh, but it gets stolen, it gets brought back, it goes into the, uh, um, it, 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 it goes to just sent by itself a bunch, a bunch of, by a bunch of cows. They didn't want any people to be around anymore because everyone was getting boils and, 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 and plagues. And so it goes into Israel and the people of Israel are like, oh wow, the ark of God, this is so cool. And they open up the cover and they, they got killed. For doing that, they, they they were not fearing God. They didn't. They there was no fear of God. They were acting recklessly with the Ark of the Covenant. So they put it in the um, uh, the the house of this man. His name was Abinadab. I think his name was, and it was there for twenty years. And um, and during the time it was in Abinadab's house, Saul never went to it. You never heard Saul. Anything about Saul saying, hey, you know, how about that Ark of the Covenant? I mean, maybe we should go and inquire of God there. Maybe we should. That wasn't what Saul was about. He, he, was, he was about, the, 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 Israel was, was about his pleasure. It was like a typical dictator, including dictators today, that the whole country existed for his pleasure. Saul reigns for 20 years. David comes in, the first thing he does the first, let's put first things first. Let's go get the ark of God. Verse 3. Let us bring the ark of God back to us. Verse 4. And then it says, Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from um, Kirjash Jerem. That's where this guy Abinadab lived in this place called Kirjash Jerem. It's just a guy's house. It's an ark of 
the, 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 the ark of the Lord, of the testimony, was, I don't know, in his guest bedroom or whatever. Um, and, uh, and, and it says that, which, it, it, so uh, it says there in verse 6, And David and all Israel went up to Bala, to kirjath Jerem, which belonged to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God of the Lord, who dwells between the cherubim, where his name is proclaimed. So they carried the ark of God in a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. Then David and all Israel played music before the Lord uh, with all their might, with singing and on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cymbals, and with trumpets. And when they came to the when they came to the chidon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. And then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and he struck him because he put his hand to the ark. That place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, how can I bring the ark of God to me? So David would not move the ark with him into the city of David, but took it inside into the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that he had. Okay, so this story, as well as the story uh, that was recited in 2 Samuel, Another one of those stories where, man, if you're new to the faith and you're reading the Bible for the first time, it's like, this is crazy. Like, what is going on? David's honoring God. He's putting first things first. Saul ignored the Ark of the Covenant. Why in the world would God ever do this thing? It's in 2 Samuel, it says there were 30,000 people who were part of this concert, part of this procession. And uh, what happens is the, the oxen who are carrying, and the Lord breaks out in judgment against them and kills him. Okay, so why did this happen? Well, it just so happens I, <laughs> I'm in the book of Exodus. And one thing I think you see if you do, this is like a pinheaded Bible geek word search that I did. If you do a word search for the word poles, you will see in the book of Exodus alone when they're building the tabernacle, the word poles is mentioned something like 18 times uh, or, or something like that. The ark was required to be carried by the priests with the, 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 the ark had, the ark of the covenant had rings, gold rings, and you put the poles through the rings, and the priests carried the ark of the covenant on their shoulders. But not only that, the bronze altar where all the lamb offering, goat offerings w went on, that was also uh, carried on poles on the shoulders of priests. Also the table of showbread, uh, the, uh, the, the table for where the incense was, they were to be carried on the, um, they were to be carried 
on the shoulders of priests. And actually, nothing was really supposed to be touching. Um, that nothing was supposed to be touching the Ark of the Covenant at all, or the bronze altar, or the table of the showbread, or, or the table for the incense. No one was supposed to be touching it at all. And so you say, well, what's the big deal? They said it was a new ox cart, rock, and instead he took a, he took a stick and he hit it, and that, that was the same kind of thing. That, that rock we know was Christ. It was Jesus Christ. And by hitting it, it in a sense, he's hitting, he's hitting Jesus Christ in a sense. And that's why Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land. You don't mess with the type of God. This is why I'm against divorce, by the way. This is why I, I do everything I can to try to get people not to divorce. If they have a biblical reason, I support them fully support them if they have a biblical reason. Um, but even when they do have a biblical reason, I really plead with them, just wait. Just wait. Because it's a biblical type of the relationship, the husband being uh, uh, the groom, the, the, the wife being the, the, the bride, and that is a of the same thing going on because the, what's the big deal? It's this, that in the Bible, we are told that we carry the presence of the Lord from place to place to place. In the New Testament, this is important because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit and you carry the presence of the Lord. And, the, and, and that is just a really holy thing. It's a holy occupation. The, the, the priests were the only ones allowed to be carrying the, the ark and it was, they're not touching it. It's, it, it there's poles through on both sides, and they're, they're carrying the presence of the Lord. So a very important typology here, and it matters to God. And, and so in the area of worship, this is so important that we understand Calvary Chapel, that we don't borrow from the Philistines. What had happened here? They borrowed from the Philistines. Oh, the Philistines, they're in the... the the, the, you know, the world, the Philistines, they used an ox cart. So let's, let's do the same thing. Let's use an ox cart. So like in the world, they have smoke machines during their rock and roll concerts. Let's bring them into our church. Have a smoke machine. Or, or they just make everything completely dark. You know, I, I don't know how many rock and roll concerts I went to. I went to a ton of them when, in the late 70s and the early 80s and poisoned my mind and wrecked my soul in many respects. And, and, and let me tell you, there was no light out in the audience. There was, it was darkness was just light. Now, am I saying that any place that uses a smoke machine and, and it's, it's dark, pitch dark everywhere with a light stage that, that those folks are, are not being used of God? No, I'm not saying that. I am saying they shouldn't be doing that, in my opinion. They shouldn't be doing that. And I hope they get to the place where they stop doing that. Because you don't want to borrow from the world and say, hey, yeah, let's do that. Because eventually, recently, I'm not going to name names. Most of you know who I'm talking about. For, for, for years, a major worship organization uh, has been doing things that are really, really questionable. And just here recently in the last couple of years, their leaders have been falling uh, into sin and, and everyone wonders why. Could it be they've been borrowing from the Philistines? Now, of course, we have to have grace. And it's important. Every time someone criticizes that organization, by the way, 
Um, and I'll just say it, it's Hillsong. I, I always defend them, always. <laughs> I, I, I always def- defend them saying, hey, look, um, the lyrics of Hillsong, ought, they're, they're powerful and they're rich, and that's why we use them, because people over the years have not liked that we do Hillsongs. But I have recognized that some of the things they've done during their concerts and, and some of the things uh, that they've said and done in some of their churches, it's like, oh, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm not comfortable with that, uh, but I'm not, I don't want to be a Pharisee and, and, and say, no, we can't sing any hill songs, and, and we, get, we should pray for them. We'll pray for them, actually, t- tonight, but, but, but um, because they, they, yeah, they're, they're in a heap of trouble right now, and, and they're trying to figure out a way back um, to the Lord, so we can pray for them, but, you know, in the short term, yes, you can use the methods of the Philistines, and you may be able to gather a great crowd. You may be able to do that, but it really is about the Lord, right? Your worship time is about the Lord. And for the life of me, I don't understand. If you're putting smoke on a stage, how is that directing people towards... I've been looking for my glasses for an hour. Here they are. Um, (laughs) If you're putting smoke on a stage, I, I just don't see... How, how that does anything other than direct people's attention to the performer. If, if everything is pitch dark and it's just light around uh, the, the lead guitarist, it just seems to me that they are, the attention is going on the performer, and that's what the world does. And, and uh, it, it's just so important that we not do that. You know, um, I have this prayer journal that I'm in oftentimes on Saturday preparing um, for the service. And I just pray this, Lord, that I would come into the service with the desire for the service to be for you, about you, and to you. For you to be pleased with what is going to happen, for you to be blessed with what is being offered, and for you to understand that yeah, the Lord blesses us during our worship service, but our, our worship time before the service. But the most important thing is, is God being blessed by me at this moment? Is he being blessed by me? And so all these people, they're singing. And, and, and this is where there can be lots of emotion in, during a worship service. People can be raising their hands and, and shouting out and, and things like that. But ultimately, there's just one thing. Is he being blessed by our hearts? Like we were talking about on Sunday morning, worship is supremely, it's, it's not all that emotion. It's something in us saying, my life's all about God, my life's all about God, my life's all about God. And by the way, if, you, if that's your heartbeat during the worship service, you're not going to go out during the week and fornicate, ignore your family, and, and just focus on your job or live in unforgiveness your life's all about God, you will just go right from singing to the Lord, to listening to a sermon, to going out and living for the Lord and obeying. Of course we are. There's, we're, we're in sin. That we're, we're, you know, as the book of James says, we all stumble in many ways. We're not going to, it's not we're a sinless people, but our, our, our life is, is, is all about God. But just an extraordinary um, story. So after three months, uh, David figures it out. Um, and we know this from Second Samuel, he figures out the correct way to 
uh, bring the ark up and he does bring it up with priests carrying the ark of the covenant on poles and there is a great great celebration when he gets the the uh the ark um to jerusalem